Warning, the following podcast is a shit show, and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes, and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition and all of its strangeness. This is life, according to an idiot. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It is I, your overlord, Mm. Kaylee. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I am Jeremy. Welcome to According to an Idiot, your window to the weirdest wonders of the world. Yeah, and random stuff that I feel like talking about for the day. Mainly the latter. Mainly the latter, and then also (laughs) (laughs) some things we decided to actually research. Yeah. Mostly just stuff that flings into my head. (laughs) <laughs> yep, that's pretty much the first 30 minutes of every episode. Is like, yeah, it's just like, Kaylee what, has happened, question. what has happened to Kaylee? He's like, Jeremy, what do you think about <laughs> snakes? <laughs> oh, I don't know. See, I was reading that thing about snakes, and I think that basically they're... Um, okay, that's funny you say that, because I was going to do the exact thing. So, Jeremy, what do you think about burgers? <laughs> Wait, was this real? Yeah. I was like, what am I... uh, Jeremy, I've read a thing about burgers lately. Um, <laughs> namely, the Impossible Burger. Have you uh, heard anything about it? I've had an Impossible Burger. Have you? Yeah. Do you like it? It was okay. Because it's, it's coming to Burger King now. Oh, really? Oh, you got real excited. I know. I'm I, excited because you're excited now. I like I like Burger King a lot. TGI Fridays. That's where I had my first Impossible Burger. Yeah. And it tasted very possible. Yeah. You know? It's not like some insane like, oh my Whoa. God, what is, <laughs> what is in my mouth right now? Whoa. Which is a question I ask myself frequently. Yeah, me um, too. But I looked into, because my questioning brain kicked in and I was, you know, excited, kind of concerned. Mm-hmm. Anybody that knows me probably has already heard all of this before, so um, you're going to hear it for a second time on this podcast. Okay. Feel free to skip ahead if you have heard me talk about <laughs> the Impossible Burger too much in the last week. <laughs> all right. So here's an impromptu science corner. Okay. Science is cool, and today we are cool. So, Jeremy, a popular thing in science and research labs is using yeast. Also, in the... Alcoholic industry, yeast is good for producing alcohol. Yeah, right. And beer. beer. Beers are very yeasty. Yeah. Beer is produced through fermentation of yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, when you ferment yeast, you get alcohol, which makes beer. Yum. Delicious. Gotta love that yeast. Beast of the yeast. Well, what people found in the meat industry and in the I don't want to be meat, but tastes like meat industry, what makes beef taste so good and meaty is a thing called heme, which oh, is- How is that spelled? H-E-M-E, like hemoglobin. Okay, heme. Is it related to hemoglobin? Yeah. Hemoglobin is an iron-containing oxygen transport protein in red blood cells. So if you think hemoglobin is a protein that has iron that transports oxygen, heme is the iron part of hemoglobin. Okay. The globin you can think of as like the protein aspect. Mm -hmm. So together, the heme joins with hemoglobin, and it is a protein that transfers oxygen in your blood. Okay. Uh, us being a person would need hemoglobin to transport oxygen in our blood, right? I should hope so. Same thing with other animals, you know, especially cows. Especially cows? Especially cows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. They also have heme in their blood, which gives it the really meaty Like, you know when you bite your tongue too hard Mm -hmm. and you get, like, blood in your mouth and you kind of get that iron taste? Yes. That's, like, your heme. Oh, okay. Essentially. I just hemed in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when you bite into red meat, especially, and particularly beef, 
you get that like nice flavor. Well, scientists wanted to be able to recreate this in non-meat products. So like right. a plant-based burger, they wanted right. to be able to have the same taste. Because that's the biggest issue. It tastes like bleh. So what scientists figured out was that the heme was what gave it the really good taste. Plants also have heme. It's not the same as animal heme. It's mm-hmm. not as harmful. Red meat is harmful for like colorectal cancer and like cardiovascular disease. Right. Uh, but plant-based heme doesn't have the same negative effects. So what scientists decided to do was take the heme out of a soy plant and they put it into yeast so that when they fermented yeast... Instead of producing alcohol, it produced heme. Oh. So they could essentially mass produce heme because yeast is fairly easy to, not easy, but like. It grows easy. Yeah. And if, I mean, you think about it, beer's mass produced, you know. Mm -hmm. And when they put the heme in like their plant-based burger, it gave it that nice meaty yum, yum, yum taste. Okay. So that's what makes the Impossible Burger. Possible. So possible. It's like the nice (laughs) heme taste. That's so weird. Yeah. Just to hear you say heme so often. They <laughs> put I, the heme the, in the... the heme. <laughs> they put the heme in the yeast. Ferment the yeast. Yeah. Don't. Yeast. Um, I wish you guys could see. Yeet. If that sounds weird. She's wearing like a Hawaiian shirt right now too. Like she's one of the Baja men. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. That is that interesting. The, that they were able to um, get uh, yeast. Who would have thought that yeast would turn into cows one day well i guess they're also trying to grow meat now how would that work do you know are you familiar with the general principle of stem cells uh kind of yeah okay so we have a lot of different kinds of cells like we have skin cells and we have retinal cells and um, nerve cells all these different kinds when you start forming cells in the beginning like when you're a baby they all start off as stem cells. They don't have a specific purpose. And then they okay. specialize and diverge into all these different types of cells. Yeah. For lab-grown meat, they take a muscle sample from an animal and they take the stem cells from the tissue, then multiply the cells and differentiate them into fibers that kind of bulk up and form muscle tissue. The muscle starts to grow. Right. Just off of nothing. That tissue of... itself is what kind of makes up the burger. Okay. I can look up really quick. So it says one tissue sample from a cow can yield enough muscle tissue to make 80,000 quarter pounders. Wow. <laughs> oh, my. They should so invest in that. Yeah. It says, I'm sure um, they are. But... The products for sale will be within the next few years. So that would be pretty cool. So you could, you could really make a human burger. You could. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm excited about this, like, reduction in actual meats. Have you ever seen those, like... Videos that are like, you know, once you watch this, you'll be a vegan. Yeah. Which, by the way, you won't because yeah. I've watched a bunch of them. But, like, they are very disturbing. Are. Like, these like the... animals that we harvest meat from, yeah. like cows and pigs, are treated horrendously. Yeah. Disgusting stuff. And the other thing is we're dedicating so much agriculture and just land and resources to feeding these animals. Yes. You know, and right. essentially, you know, especially cows, they produce methane. Mm-hmm. You know, which contributes to big, climate change was, everything. Yeah, that was a big issue. I know it. Yeah. And I, start, I think it started in like the 80s. They were talking about how methane from cows. Yeah, it's a big They believed issue. what was causing a big issue with the hole in the ozone or something. Yeah, and it does. It, it is a big contributor. Right. How available and cheap beef is. Just imagine how many cows that is. Right. Well, just I think we just need to invest in corks. And plug them up. <laughs> I don't know why no one thought of that. I th- I was yeah. I've been petitioning for that for most of my life. 
cork and cow butts. Put a cork in it. Hell yeah. But uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting age of us. That's a big, long science corner. <laughs> yeah, one old, big old science. That was a science room right That was there. a science room. So, Jeremy. Yes, Kaylee. I feel like we should do a, a Tinderella. Oh, boy. Tinderella? Would you mind if I spread Nutella on her butt and ate it? So this one starts off well and then leaves off on a strange note. I'm going to call him Steve. All right, Steve. Steve is in his early 30s. Okay. Hello, all. I am Holy Spirit-filled Christian man looking to meet a wonderful woman that I can settle down with. Of course, I will be supporting you in your spirit-led endeavors as well. Jesus looks sexy on you. That kind of sounds like a country song. As for interests, I love Bible studies, reading, video games, putt-putt golf, and cider mills. Is there more or is that the end of that's, it? That's it. Okay. Now, that last line, he said his interests include? Yeah. I'm curious as to how cider mills fall in his realm of interest. <laughs> Structurally, they're interesting or I, like the apples or the donuts? He is interested in going to them. Yeah. Like Mecca. That's his I own guess. personally. He likes right. going to church and cider mills. They both are tall and pointed. And putt-putt golf. And putt-putt golf. <laughs> I can picture the slacks on him. You know what I mean? I would probably swipe right on that. <laughs> So give me, give me your tender. I'll give you this one. This one, this one is special. I like this one a lot. This is Ruth. If my profile caught your eyes, is you are probably attracted to my pictures, but you're adult man. <laughs> you must know that this is just pictures. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have a problem, single women. <laughs> so I'm here on this love dating site, by the way. If you are interested to me, add me on the snap. This is my name. And what? her, her <laughs> which I think she's trying to say her Snapchat handle, which, by the way, is a bunch of numbers. Uh, yeah. So I'm not so sure about Ruth. Venmo me. Venmo me. So I have another one here. And yeah. it's a woman. Okay. I'm going to call her Felicia. I'm not going to give an age. I'm just going to go right in. Oh, okay. Prerequisites. Must be attractive. Parentheses, not ugly. <laughs> okay, good. I didn't know the, I didn't know the definition. <laughs> Must be outgoing and extroverted. Must be overly sexual and flirtatious. Latin Americans and Southern Europeans strongly preferred. No Scandinavians or Northern Europeans. I can get anyone I want because everyone swipes right on me. So step your game up. <laughs> Whoa. Holy sh- shirt. That is... Uh... You got a picture of that? No. No, I don't. Was she beautiful? I don't know. You don't remember? No. Well, so I, I know there's a lot more to this than just this portion, but like what qualifies as Southern European? Probably Italy? Italy, Italy Greece. Yeah. yeah, Italy, Greece, Portugal, Spain. I would say Northern European is like Germany, Denmark. But where's the cutoff, right? Where's, where's South and North end? I don't even know what Europe looks like. <laughs> I'll be real with you. I think... Uh, like Austria? How big is... Where does Europe end? China, right? Like Russia. Russia like dips border. into Europe and Asia. Yeah. Russia has no business being as large as it is. I know. It's, it's weird because they were even like bigger than that before. Yeah. I feel like the reason Russia is so big is because when they were divvying out land, uh, they just didn't know it went that far. They're like, man, you know what? In Russia, you have the rest of this. And they're right. like, oh, shit, guys, there's more over the hill over there. Right. Like, yeah, whatever, Russia. <laughs> it's like, okay, we now have uh, most of the earth. I wonder like how much of it is nothing. 
Like the American Midwest is just like nothing. Yeah, it's just like prairies, you know? Nothing from ever. White people <laughs> with belts, <laughs> with big belts going like, Bip. yeah, oh yeah, farming some milk. <laughs> milk is the highest resource attainable. And we don't pasteurize it. We drink it straight from the cow. We drink it straight from the teat. Yes, we have to chew it. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like now is a good time to transition. Into the main segment. Our viewers are getting anxious. They're they, tapping their watches. They're you know. pacing the living room floor. Yeah, they're yeah, saying, where is this going? Where? where who are? Who, mm-hmm. who, All those what? questions. <laughs> everything. What, when, where, hi. Hi. Bye. Hi. Bye. Uh, See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. So what, what are we going to talk about uh, this week, Jeremy? This week... We are cracking open the declassified files of the CIA to grant you a window into what once was unknown, but now is very much known. And you know why? Why? Because I was a mole. I infiltrated the CIA and extracted these files. Yep. So we could talk about it. I thought the mole suit was unnecessary, but it was a... Yeah, it was just a giant brown mole. blob. Yeah, like... <laughs> a facial mole. Yeah, you weren't even <laughs> an animal. Out of it. Let's dive into this world of conspiracy yeah. and curiosity. Sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or unearthly? You can describe things in the future just as accurately as the present. How well can you really direct a cat? to do an espionage operation. Many of these psychic things are quite natural. Unbelievable, fantastic, but I tell you it could happen. Let's jump into it. So I, uh, Jeremy, I'm gonna be talking about a very special era of the CIA, the 60s also known as the Cold War era. This is a little uh, mood setting here. Mood um, set. I love some good mood m- sets. Mood set. Uh, so this is 60s. Cold okay. War era. Yeah. Well, Cold War era really arguably lasts till the 80s, but go it, ahead. It, it did. Um, this is peak, peak Cold War era. Yep. The CIA has some increasing pressure to gain intelligence against the Soviets. Oh, no. Tensions are running high. Those goddamn reds. War seems eminent. Imminent. Eminent. Eminent. That's eminent. Eminent. (laughs) Eminent. The Soviets are one true enemy. Yes. Nothing else matters. We must defeat the Soviets, prove they are working against us, and we must gain all the intelligence we can possibly get. So CIA decides to gain as much intelligence as they can to hopefully defeat the Soviets and gain Soviet intelligence. I can only assume that their plans are the most high-tech and sophisticated. Oh, oh they are. You've talked plans about available. one, Jeremy. MKUltra was a big yes. CIA operation. Because they thought that mind control was being used by the communists, the Chinese communists, and yeah. also the Soviet communists. Yeah. And so they were doing mind control stuff. But yeah, so this must be equally as brilliant as that. Right. Just to give a little bit of perspective, CIA did many operations, such as MKUltra, the mind control project that we talked about a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. If you are interested, please listen to our other uh, podcast. Yeah, I won't what? tell you what episode it is, so you'll have to listen to all of them to figure it out. I think it's like episode 15. Something like that. 
but another big thing they did was deploy non-human operatives, such as ravens, pigeons, and cats, to spy on adversaries. And another popular... I'm sorry, were we versing the Soviets or the Ottoman Empire? Let's send a raven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are we sending? A raven. Send for a raven. So, uh, another example. In... <laughs> In 1954, the CIA participated in Operation Gold, which included digging a tunnel beneath Berlin to access the communications cable of the Soviet embassy. That's cheating. Yeah. Uh, what the hey? Let's just dig a mole tunnel. What the hey? <laughs> to get this cable through Berlin. Gosh darn it. We'll dig a whole tunnel through the country of Berlin. So Not the country, can, but the place. The location. The, the location the, of yes, Berlin. Yes, the geographical location of Berlin, which is a city in a country. Yes, thank you. So what are they going to do? They're going to dig a tunnel to get to this wire? Yeah. And are they going to like tie some tinfoil around it and tie it to another wire? So that right, like an antenna and they, they get all the in- yeah. juicy information. What they could possibly do is they have somebody touch it with their fingers and they open their mouth and whatever information is on the line comes out of their mouth like a phonograph. Oh, yeah. Or maybe their cool. their nipples just fizzle a little bit. But it's in Morse code of whatever message is on the line. Right. That's fascinating. Uh, so, yeah, science was way ahead of its time then. So I want you to imagine you're a CIA officer, mm-hmm. and you are attempting to listen in on a particular head of state. Okay. You're looking around, and you notice there's a lot of feral cats around here. I picked so, a bad day to pack a tuna fish salad. So, hey, what if we used cats to spy on Soviet officials to gain information because nobody suspects a cat. Yeah, I just came up with that. That's wow. a great idea That's on my part. That's a great idea. You CIA officer. Who told you I was a Soviet? What? <laughs> I love so, my country. This idea was hatched to use cats as basically spying operatives for the CIA to gain intelligence against the Soviets. And they would plant these cats in different areas to overhear conversations. And then you, so I assume as a CIA operative, Mm -hmm. first, what we have to do, number one, Mm -hmm. is learn how to speak to cats. Yeah. So we learn their chatter. We send them in there. And when they get out, they start going. Okay. I I hate it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, there is a what in a what? (laughs) You're not all that far off. Oh, man. Cats are famously disobedient, but the CIA believed that with the right training, the cats could become spies and they could control the cat to go to specific areas and listen in on conversations. Oh, what? And they also were really banking on the curious nature of cats, you know. Curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity killed the cat. And that cats would naturally be interested in these conversations or people, so they would kind of gravitate to those areas and then they would overhear these conversations. This seemed like a brilliant idea by the CA to utilize cats as right. spies. Unfortunately, our enemies were not bowls of milk. Right. So you can think, uh, this is the 1960s. Computers are essentially an entire room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how in the world would you have a recording device on a cat? I couldn't even begin to think of one. This is what puzzled the CIA. So Victor Marchetti... He's uh, formerly an assistant to the CIA's director. He was quoted as saying, they split the cat open, put batteries in him, and wired him up. And, quote, they made a monstrosity. Oh, fuck. <laughs> the thing is, is a, a big problem was, was that... Was they split a cat in half. They, they split a cat open. But also the batteries, you know, during that time were very big. Right. So they had to get the smallest batteries possible because 
you don't want a cat walking around this huge protrusions coming right. from their body that would look really odd. I feel like another issue is that a cat can't walk around once it's been split in half. Well, yeah, but they also sewed it, sewed it back up. They cut the cat open, stuck some batteries in there, wired it up, and then you know, stitched it back together. Have again. you ever heard of spies? Yeah. Because that's like much easier. But cat spies. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a better movie idea. But the uh, batteries, they, they had to use the smallest batteries possible, which meant the recordings were extremely short. So that, that was a big problem with the cats, among also just torturing cats and splitting them open. What they did is they put a transmitter. It was three quarters of an inch long transmitter that was embedded at the base of the cat's skull that they put in. They put a microphone in the ear. This took a long time for them to figure out the best place to put a microphone, but they ended up sticking it in the cat's ear since it was kind of easily disguised. Yeah, and like the ear's already funnel sound and stuff. So the antenna was made from fine wire and it was woven all the way to the tail through the cat's fur to conceal it, essentially. Okay, so it wasn't under the dermis? I'm not sure. At least a portion of it was. Right. Otherwise, it would be obvious, I think. So this entire process of uh, essentially sticking batteries in, <laughs> shoving wires and antennas in this cat took five years. So, okay, that five time that, that time could have been out. used so much better. <laughs> yeah. It gets better. Okay, so good. after they kind of tested some stuff on dummies and live animals, the project moved forward to the first, uh, what was called the Acoustic Kitty was created. That's perfect. So the issue with this acoustic kitty was that cats, as I kind of explained earlier, are yeah. uh, unruly. <laughs> They're disobedient. They do whatever right. they want. Yeah. So the cat was put through a training process to teach it exactly what it, they wanted it to do, which was follow audio cues and be directed in the direction that they wanted it to go to listen to these conversations. Well, the cat would get hungry. And when the cat got hungry, <laughs> it'd walk off the job. <laughs> <laughs> On his lunch break. So they had to go through a whole nother surgery just to get God. rid of the appetite of the cat so yeah. it would stop walking off whenever it got oh, hungry. That's kind of twisted. That's right. very twisted. Yeah. So this is another quote. Uh, outside the lab, there was just no hurting the cat. She'd wander off when she got bored, distracted or hungry. The cat's hunger issues were addressed with another operation. The additional surgical and training expenses are estimated to have brought the total cost to $20 million. Oh, my goodness. But Acoustic Kitty was finally ready. So this is $20 million that they spent on a cat. They could have just paid the Soviets the $20 million to right. be like, hey, can you just give us some information? I, I, I just want to reiterate that they put all this, at this point in time, extremely high-tech technology yeah. inside a cat. Uh, they had a vet do all these operations. They trained the cat. Had to go through another operation just so the cat would, God, would listen to them. Poor fucking cat. Yeah. There's no way that people wouldn't be like, look at that disgusting cat. Like it's, <laughs> it's like all right. like shaking and covered uh, in stitches and like it's, it's like, buzzing. Like, yeah. So after spending five years and $20 million on this one acoustic cat, it was finally ready to be put out on the job, have its first mission, really make use of all those dollars. Prime um, time, time to shine. The cat was dropped off by operatives, and it was sent out to eavesdrop on two men in a park outside a Soviet compound in Washington, D.C. That was its mission. The Soviets had compounds in Washington, D.C.? I guess so. Why didn't we just evict them? So we could have a cat spy them, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. We were <laughs> bored. So that was its first task. Yes. On the first trip out, the cat was hit and killed by a taxi. Oh, my God. While crossing <laughs> the road almost immediately. <laughs> 
never made it to its target. It's a comedy. I'm sorry. It's terrible that like the cat died, but also in a way that was like put out of its misery. (laughs) Five years and twenty million dollars. They finally send the cat out. It's hit by a car immediately. Immediately. (laughs) Everyone just watches this this clearly a CIA operative in a trench coat rush out from the corner of an alley and like start picking up the batteries from the guts. Like these are important. Yeah, and they had to because they were scared the Soviets would gain the intelligence of Acoustic Kitty. Okay, the Soviets would not bother with that. Unsurprisingly, by 1967, the project was scrapped. Really? Along with the remains of the Acoustic Kitty. Rest in uh, peace. Didn't want the Soviets to get a hold of that precious technology. Uh, So this was buried for a long time. Finally, the documents were released in, I think, 2001. And since then, obviously, people have had a field day with making fun of this. And the CIA was like, oh, uh, hold on. Uh, This is actually a success. Hmm? Yeah. And they're like, you guys are too dumb to realize this was a successful operation, actually. They claim to have found valuable information from the project, namely that cats are not good spies. (laughs) (laughs) They don't take double A's. Right. They determined that cats are too independent to be controlled the way that they needed. However, cats could be trained to travel short distances. So can every other animal, CIA. (laughs) Come on. Jesus. So we, we gained some valuable information. It was worth that $20 million price of admission. God. <laughs> Only the CIA would be like, no, but we learned a lot. We, yeah. We learned we can get them to travel short distances. Yes. And also get run over by a taxi immediately. We learned what it looks like when a cat full of metal gets run over by a taxi cab. <laughs> Maybe the operative was like relieved. He's like, finally, we can stop with the shit show, you right. know, this <laughs> right. project. That cat was relieved to finally feel the, the warm embrace of death after being a Frankenstein monstrosity. Right. Can you imagine how annoying it must have been to try and train that cat? Was it one cat or was, did they have to go through multiple? I feel like they probably would have gone through multiple. Well, they said they did practice on dummy animals and different live animals. So I'm assuming that they tested it out with other cats, but then they had the final acoustic kitty. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know what? I can honestly say that uh, what I'm about to share with you is equally as absurd as that. Oh, um, fun. My little venture into the CIA's shadowy doings is um, more on the paranormal side. So it's a little bit more ridiculous. Okay. But there are less, I think there's less dead animals involved. Nice. I think. Thanks to uh, declassified documents available from the CIA, every few, I guess, years, they kind of just release a batch of documents that they're like, you know what? There's really no need for this to be a secret anymore. It's been so long. We We might as well just release it. Yeah. So now we have a little window into the government's most scandalous secrets. I'm going to be discussing what is known as Project Stargate. So the CIA had a significant interest in in parascience and the paranormal and supernatural in general. Right, as most people. You can find documents that showcase this on CIA.gov. Imagine all the weird stuff that the CIA has classified right now that we'll never know about because they're too embarrassed to release it. The CIA is sort of like the pervert brother of the government. It's like the weird uncle. Yes. CIA.gov has a bunch of declassified documents with some redacted information, but still it's pretty fascinating. So most of the information I got in here, I got through that. Mm -hmm. They were interested in spiritual healing, astrology, telepathy, general psychic functioning, UFO reports, and what we'll be talking about specifically is remote viewing. I sort of talked about remote viewing in uh, in episode 12. I did that um, Spook Squad back when I was doing Spook Squads. On <laughs> now the, it has become Spook Squad. Yeah. The psychic that projected themselves onto Mars 
and oh, found back then. Yeah. That is a very grandiose version of remote viewing. Okay. Remote viewing is the alleged ability to psychically see events, sites, or information from a great distance. By a great distance, I mean a different location somewhere far away, at another time, in another place, whatever. Obviously, this was a primary interest to the government mm-hmm. during the Cold War when we wanted to utilize remote viewing and integrate it into our intelligence division so that people could spy using their psychic powers. Did you say you can see in the future too, or just the past? And in some present? cases, in some cases, uh, psychic viewers claim to be traveling not just in their mind distance, but also through time. Hmm. So the idea of harnessing psychic powers to assist in uh, military operations was first inspired by rumors that the Soviets had mm-hmm. begun integrating what they called psychoenergetics into their intelligence programs. So essentially the U.S. was like, hey, we got word that the Soviets are using psychics to get information about us. And so we huh. said, well, we better get psychics to get information about them. However, it is theorized that this was propaganda pushed onto the U.S. from the Soviet Union. Hmm. In 1970, U.S. intel sources believed the Soviet Union was spending about 60 million rubles, which is, I think, somewhere yes. around like 10 million U.S. dollars oh, annually wow. on psychotronics. Annually? Yeah. Damn. The Soviet Union back in those days. Right. And so in return, they're like, well, we got to sink all this money into it as well. And so upon hearing Soviets had gotten positive results from it, the CIA initiated funding for the program Scanate, which I think was the combination of scan and coordinates. Okay. They were the Defense Intelligence Agency joined with what's called SRI International, which is Stanford Research Institute International. SRI International was contracted through the military to assist in investigating the potential for psychic phenomena in military and domestic intelligence applications. Hmm. So it went through several different code names in its lifetime. It went from Gondola Wish <laughs> to Grill Flame, <laughs> Center Lane, Sunstreak, until officially being deemed Project Stargate. Those all sound like really bad names. Like Grill Flame sounds like a restaurant. (laughs) Yeah. They all sound (laughs) like Guy Fieri. He would own a restaurant named Grill Grill Flame. Flame. (laughs) Surf's up, muchachos. Today, we're chowing down on some serious grub at Grill Flame. (laughs) Man, Guy Fieri. If you told me that Guy Fieri was a CIA operative (laughs) under like deep, deep cover, I would believe it. On diners, drive-ins, and dives, today I'm going to shove a circuit board inside a half-dead cat. (laughs) (laughs) Cue intro. He just screams at the TV. And then he rips off his shirt and squirts bacon grease out of his nipples. I'm sending your ass to Flavortown. Shoves the nearest by woman onto his teat where he feeds her. Looks like baby's hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Stargate. Um, So it was eventually terminated and declassified in 1995. And uh, this is because... No info was proved to be useful in any intelligence operation, (laughs) and you'll soon find out why. So I want to take you back to 1972. Under the initial Project Scanate, researchers Russell Targ and Harold Puthoff (laughs) would join in studying the effectiveness and legitimacy of what is known as remote viewing. Uh, Now, just to clarify, both of these men are physicists who are behind this research and experimentation and testing. Uh, A minimum accuracy rate of 65% was required by the subjects to be considered reliable in terms of remote viewing. Hmm. And in later testing, it often exceeded that. So testing took place in 1973 with one of their first subjects, Pat Price. Pat Price was a police commissioner who claimed to have ESP. 
He was psychic. He felt that he used his ESP throughout his years on the force to varying degrees of success. Mm. Well, here's how they would do it. In the testing, Targ would sit with Price in an electrically shielded cage to prevent any radio contact. Think of like a Faraday cage. So that way, if he was wearing a wire or if he's cheating in some way. Right. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. So Pat Price would then use his ESP to try and locate Pathoff. And, Can I see uh, how it's spelled? I'm like really curious. It's P-U-T-H-O-F-F. Patoff. Patoff. Yeah. Pathoff. Oh my God, it's Patoff. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. Patoff. Patoff. So while Price focuses powers to find Patoff, Targ would guide him through the process by asking certain questions to help keep the experiment process structured and orderly because it's really easy for these psychics to kind of go all over the place. Oh yeah, sure. Because they're getting a lot of alleged information, you know, flashing in front of them. A lot of critics suggest that the certain questions posed to the subjects could have influenced what they say. But, but we anyways, know what we say to critics. Piss off. <laughs> I love how it was like an instant. We locked eyes and in unison we said, Piss off. Uh, anyways, Patoff would go drive around to a random location mm-hmm. and then Targ would be waiting in the lab. Neither Targ nor Price would know where Patoff was. This is such like, it feels like a sitcom. <laughs> well, like Targ. Targ sounds like an alien bounty hunter. Targ. Right. Three eyes Targ. and like he's jacked to the gills and he has like laser guns. What's the other one? Something Price? Pat Price. Pat Price. So Patoff would drive somewhere to some anonymous location that neither Targ nor Price was aware of. And then Targ would ask Price. These are weird names. Targ <laughs> would ask Price, hey, find Patoff. Price would then, you know, use his remote viewing to try to find where he was located. And for one of their first experiments, Patoff went to the top of this tower known as Hoover Tower. But how do we know Patoff and Targ aren't a part of this? They worked together, but Patoff wouldn't tell Targ where he was going. So there was like a double blind. Ah, I see. And Price was able to accurately detect that he was in Hoover Tower. He cited specific details such as the color of nearby roofs and he knew that the target was high up. Mm -hmm. He could detect a library that was adjacent and nearby the, the tower. I think their second one was a nature reserve, and that's when Price really got very, very specific. Price sometimes sketched what he saw, and it was often with great detail and great accuracy. So at one point, he described a local swimming pool or like a plot of land that had several swimming pools on it that Patoff went to. And Price sketched out the dimensions of a swimming pool within 10% of its actual size. What's kind of interesting is they found that with this remote viewing, in Price's case and for most of the remote viewers, how they would see things is they would see it from like an aerial view. It's like they were... Aliens. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. So what they're doing is they're taking over the consciousness of an alien and then seeing through their eyes. With no certainty? Yes. (laughs) And regarding one case, I believe Targ had said, it was as if he came zooming in from thousands of feet of altitude until he found the people at the target site and then described what they were looking at. So it got that specific as to where he could see what they were looking at, where they were angled, what they were doing, which is very bizarre. On their fourth experiment, the lab director was like, I smell something fishy about this. This is too good to be true. Mm-hmm. Determined to find like a hidden flaw in the procedure or even a fraud, the lab director drove with Patak to a random location. I believe the lab director was driving. So he decided to drive with no idea of his own destination. So he headed west initially for a while. And then just spur of the moment, he did a U-turn, changed directions, and he kept on doing this on and off for some time until they ended up eventually five miles up coast at some unknown marina. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, with Targ, 
Price reported visions of a boat dock and began describing the marina almost exactly. Hmm. He got a curious flash of a Chinese or Japanese pagoda. That's one thing he stated. Do you know what a pagoda is? No. It's like that typical Asian-looking structure with the tiered roofs Uh, that are kind of pointy. and Yeah. Yeah. He was kind of confused and didn't really trust what he was seeing. And it turned out there was indeed a restaurant on the uh, side of the docks that was built like a pagoda, had that kind of roofing. Mm-hmm. In an assessment, a scientist that was unrelated to the project was tasked with reading the transcripts and going to each location and seeing if someone who had no knowledge of this experiment could see the connection. Like, yeah, that could describe this location pretty well. Right. The scientist visited each target site using the transcript that Price had given. Altogether, Price did a total of nine experiments. They determined that seven out of the nine locations were objectively clear enough for the judge to correctly match them with the transcripts. I'm just like waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, what's what's the catch? I think that Price was either currently or a former Scientologist. Mm. So, I mean, there that, it is. Yeah. Actually, the term remote viewing was coined allegedly by a former OT7 Scientologist. Of course. Yeah. So, a lot of the stuff, it's the 60s, the 70s. People are smoking doobies even at the Pentagon and right. they're getting crazy ideas. And like, Dianetics we should, is thriving right Dian- now. Dianetics is just. The must-see action film of the summer. (laughs) So, back to Stargate. There's more crazy people. Wait, just wait. Another weird name. A man named Ingo Swan. (laughs) I know. So he was another subject of Pathoff and Targ, their remote viewing studies. And Swan claimed to experience out-of-body experiences, which we talked about way back in the day. Yeah. And uh, general psychic powers. He could see auras and stuff. I looked into Ingo Swan. I won't talk about him too much, but he is a very interesting character. He's very flamboyant. I mean, you have to be if your name is Swan. He was the most enthusiastic and he wanted to be Mm. involved the most. Yeah. At some point, against Patof and Targ's initial wishes, Swan remotely viewed the planet Jupiter, which he insisted upon. He's like, guys, I got an idea. And they're Mm. like, no, you know, that's not really what we're looking for. He's like, guys. Trust me. Jupiter. (laughs) And so they did that. He saw quite a bit to the point where the feedback that came from this <laughs> remote viewing amounted to about 300 pages. What can you see on Jupiter? Jupiter's uh, he just, just gas. Des- he just described entering its orbit and the color of stuff and the surface that was like wet and sinky. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I didn't want to waste too much time reading 300, 300 pages of that. Pages. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> But Swan also helped him develop methods for that they would use in the future with remote viewers and stuff like that. They would test his abilities by having him remotely view weather patterns. So he would be like, in Topeka, it's sunny and a little bit cloudy. Hmm. And they'd call him up. Hey, Topeka, what's the weather like? And they're like, it's sunny and cloudy. And he's like, is that a Pokemon? Well, God damn it. Topeka? Togepi. That's what what I'm thinking. Togepi. Togepi. I didn't sound, neither of us sounded anything like Togepi. (laughs) No. Yeah, so that is the beautiful man that it is, Ingo Swan. How do you fake remote viewing? You just say, okay, well, let's say if, if I insisted on going to Jupiter, <laughs> I said, I want to go to Jupiter. This is what I see. You can't disprove that I went to Jupiter. Right, but I mean like the weather and stuff. You just guess. They interviewed plenty of psychics that were wrong. I'm just really sharing the, the interesting so, I stuff. I guess at some point, statistically, someone's just going to get it right. Randomly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I remember they had this guy on America's Got Talent one year who was, like, supposedly so good at reading people, he could, like, predict what they were going to do before they even did it. So one of his tricks that, like, blew everybody away, like, how in the world could this guy know this, is um, he asked people, pick an animal. Like, pick any animal. All right. Cat. Good. Pick a color. Yeah, hearing all these, oh, white, good. That's a good color. 
Um, all right, now I want you to pick a name. A name for this cat. Oh, Oliver, good. Hey, guys, guess what? And he, like, goes back and he opens this box. And it's a white cat named Oliver. And he, he didn't even have to, like, hear somebody say it. He could just be like, you said cat? Thank you. That's true. Uh, did Oliver. I, did I hear yes. Oliver? Did I hear yeah. an Oliver? Yes, I did. Um, well, mm-hmm. guess what I got back here? Uh, a white, white cat, cat named, named Oliver. Oliver. I like, could do that. Right. And everyone's like. <gasps> that man is magic. They were calling him the Sherlock Holmes of Eat like my ass. Yeah, Sherlock like, Holmes. I could do that. The CIA has done worse things to cats. Okay. <laughs> 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 so let me quickly mention Joe McMonagle. Joe McMonagle was an acclaimed <laughs> remote viewer. He's known as uh, in the project. He's his like his not his code name, but he was referred to as remote viewer number one. He was probably the most impressive in terms of what he was able to do. Um, but in 1984, he was awarded the Legion of Merit for determining 150 essential elements of information and producing crucial and vital intel unavailable in any other source. So he really did find a lot of stuff. I think at one point he gathered intelligence from actually across Soviet lines through remote viewing. I'm going to uh, cap this off with one final profile of an individual who was involved in Project Stargate, and he's my favorite. His name is Major General Stubblebine. Major General Stubblebein has been described as being, quote, at the heart of America's military machine. Now, he boasts a very illustrious military career throughout his life. He was in Vietnam. He began his career as an armor officer and later transferred into the military intelligence. He was also awarded the Legion of Merit and the Bronze Star Medal for service in Vietnam. As a colonel, Stubblebein was part of a special task force that was tasked with defining the requirements of U.S. Army for future conflicts. So he became a pretty adamant proponent of psychic warfare. Stubblebein initiated a project within the U.S. Army Intelligence and Security Command to create, quote, a breed of super soldier, unquote, with the ability to become invisible at will and walk (laughs) through walls. Stubblebein attempted to walk through walls himself, but repeatedly failed to do so. (laughs) (laughs) What a wonderful man. Uh, he became a key sponsor of Project Stargate. So he thought like his psychic abilities could make him walk through walls? He thought that you could harness, even the everyman could learn to harness psychic abilities. Keep in mind, this is a time when other parts of the CIA and government like MKUltra were experimenting with LSD. Can you imagine how disappointing it would be like being told you can do all this stuff and then all of a sudden it's like, no. It's like Santa, but worse. No wonder baby boomers are so angry. It's because they were promised that they could levitate. Right. That's bogus. But later on with the acorn stairlift. Right. <laughs> those commercials for the acorn stairlift. Old people are like, I love my acorn stairlift. Uh, and they get yeah. into a chair built on the right. side of their staircase and it moves at like, you know, a mile a day. <laughs> Stubblebine became a key sponsor of Project Stargate. He was so into this stuff that he required all of his commanders of his battalion learn how to bend spoons with their mind. In addition to walking through walls, Stubblebine attempted other psychic feats like levitation and dispersing <laughs> nearby clouds with his mind. Ah, can you imagine this, like... <laughs> oh, 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 you see that? Yeah, I did it. Uh, see that cloud burst? That was me. Uh, so, <laughs> Stubblebine earned himself an early retirement following several controversies involving his inclusion of uncleared civilian psychics on projects that contained highly sensitive information, hmm. which is definitely goes against protocol. <laughs> what also uh, played a part in his... Uh, <laughs> In his early retirement is he caused a scene when he offended then U.S. Army Chief of Staff by offering to perform a spoon bending stunt at a formal gala. So he goes up to this (laughs) this staff general and he goes, hey, 
let me show you some. I can bend spoons with my mind. I'm psychic. And mm. apparently this chief of staff was uh, fairly religious and he associated psychic uh, abilities with, like with witchcraft and Satanism. So he was just like, just Get so offended. Yeah, this is at a formal gala. God damn it, don't bend the silverware, first of all. Right. So that was the end of the hot garbage that was <laughs> Project Stargate. And there's so many other government money pits yeah. that the CIA Our was involved Our tax dollars in. funded spoon benders. <laughs> Absolutely, which is insane. Well, think of what we're paying for right now that we have no clue right. what it's going towards. Well, we take money out of your paycheck, taxes, so that we can build roads and build infrastructure. Right. But actually, we're going to be teaching Jedis how to do stuff. <laughs> it's going to be hidden to you, too, until we declassify it. Yeah. If they did do something really cool with our tax dollars, they don't tell us. They're just like, oh, they do stuff with cats. Like, fuck. <laughs> right. We should have just built a run. road. We should have just helped that town in, in Oklahoma instead of putting wires on a cat. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, if you're in the CIA, it's like, I can do whatever I want, essentially. You want to make a cat a spy? Why right. not? So, Kaylee. Yes. I think this concludes our big old hunk of weirdness. Yeah. You're welcome for digging those out of the catacombs of the CIA. I plucked them from their clutches and I laid it out for you fine peasants to learn the inner workings of the Central Intelligence Agency. She googled it. That's what that means. Yeah. So Jeremy, yeah. what is a good vibration for you this week? Um, We took a big old dump on the government today. Yes. So thank you to the government workers. Yeah. They're just the good people that are working for the government. But what about you? What's your good vibe? Uh, my good vibration for this week is the National Arbor Day Foundation. Oh. And you can get 10 trees for free that you can plant yourself. Uh, if you get a membership, it costs $10 for six months or 15 for a year, and they send you 10 free trees along with your membership. Whoa. Or you can gift it to somebody else. Maybe you have someone's birthday coming up and okay, be like, uh, hold hey. Hold on, hold on, hold on. If you do that, then you're you're saying, I'm going to give myself credit and then just give the tree that I want nothing to do with to you. You do it in other people's name. They can plant 10 trees in your honor. And you can wow. pick what trees you want. You put in like your zip code uh, and it'll tell you what zone you are. So different trees obviously grow better in different environments and climates. It sounds like we're sponsored by... Yeah, right. Well, it's, an, it's a nonprofit organization, so yeah. any money that you put towards it, they have like apparel and coffee and stuff too. I'm thinking about trying some of their coffee, but it all goes to it go it all goes it all goes, to, yep. it, it all goes towards planting more trees around the world. So yep. who wants that? Well, you know, climate scientists say if we can plant one billion trees, it'll basically solve global warming no because the roots are going to grow and they're going to mess up all of the farmland and then we're going to have no vegetables and then where will we be well think about it we got like what eight billion people in the world if every person plants one tree we're golden so that's my good vibrations it's a good cause to plant trees what about bushes bushes are fine everyone's talking about trees like there's like bushes don't exist bushes are so overlooked Bushes are nice. Bushes are nice because they've got the beauty of nature, but they're low to the ground. You can pet it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to climb it to go feel its foliage. Right. But a tree you can sit under. A bush you can sit in. And you can climb a tree. You can pick things off a bush. You can pick things off a tree. But it requires a longer neck. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, this has uh, been... Uh, according to an idiot, 
If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss or if you have questions or feedback you would like us to know, you can email us at accordingtoanidiot at gmail.com. We also have a Twitter at Idiots Accord and a Facebook and Instagram, According to an Idiot. So interact, share our stuff, tell your friends. We want as much earballs on us as we can get. Right. And we've gotten quite a few ratings on iTunes now. So thank you guys that yeah, have taken you. the time to do that. If you haven't already, please consider it if you enjoy listening to us. It helps us out. So thank you so much for listening. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Kaylee. Stay spooky. Oh, God.